Well, good morning. If you'd open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 14, we're continuing our ongoing Bible class in uh, Luke. <clears throat> we're in 14th chapter. This will be our uh, second lesson here in Luke 14, and today uh, dealing with parable. And uh, we've dealt with parables several times in, in Luke, and there's a, a lot more coming up. And uh, kind of examining parables, I thought we might kind of look at the the principles of parables and their use in uh, <clears throat> preparation for today's lesson. And it's interesting that uh, we find parables uh, quite a bit in the Old Testament and in Numbers and uh, Job and Psalms and Psalms and Proverbs and Ezekiel and Micah and Habakkuk, all in the Old Testament parables. So nothing new. And so when the Lord speaks by parables, it's because he said he was going to do that in the Old Testament. So join me in Luke chapter 14 then. And we'll read today's uh, section from verse 7 through 11. And remembering that the the Lord had gone to this this dinner there in uh, Luke chapter 14 verse 1. He went to the house of a chief Pharisee to eat bread on the Sabbath day, and and we went over what transpired there. And so now he's speaking to those ones that invited him to this, he was bidden to come, he's speaking to those that invited him to come to this supper, and and for the Pharisees and the lawyers and those that were there, it was kind of, as we learned, for nefarious purposes. And so now he gives them a parable, and we always find that parables, that there's nothing new. It's a, when you're looking for Christ, you see him everywhere, and when you're not looking for him, you don't see him anywhere. And such is the story of parables. And so in Luke fourteen seven, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. And remember in other scriptures, he, said he spoke to them in parables, and he didn't say anything that wasn't a parable and a simile, a uh, and we'll, we'll examine that here in a little bit. But he, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, those that were invited to this supper the same time he was invited. And when he, when he marked or took notice how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding... Sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say unto thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship or glory in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so uh, when they when they had these feasts, this Eastern tradition there wasn't uh, in the English translations that we have. When we think of a higher room, we think of like a balcony in a theater or an upstairs room or a penthouse or some kind of a raised place, but really just speaks to a place of honor. And, and these dinners that they had, they were kind of on the ground floor, and they kind of took reclining positions around, and the 
the host would sit in the place of honor and then those that were that he invited would take the he would assign them honorable places to sit and 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 it was kind of a hierarchical arrangement the farther away you sat from the host the less honorable you were uh, and so so he's talking about those ones that came and and went and sat down in the highest place right off the bat and and so it wasn't really a room as we would think of a room but it's more of a station or a a place of of honor and and so seeing as how we're dealing with parable I thought it would be good to to kind of examine parables a little bit and refresh our memories on what they are and what they mean and how they're delivered and and remembering that our 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 Bible class all the messages that come out of here uh, from Norm and Mike and Craig or anybody that's been here always speak to the great gospel of the Lord's substitutionary death in the place of his people and that great I love that hymn that he brought this morning that it was so humbling that grace <clears throat> that uh, when we were the without strength cried Christ died for the ungodly, and uh, <clears throat> what a wonderful hymn that was! And so this this law of parables, and a parable is a uh, the use of familiar objects or customs or practices which are used by the Lord to reveal or teach a spiritual application to the church, to the elect, to the sheep, whatever you want to call them by whatever designation. <clears throat> it's regarding God and his grace to the church and that all he has and is doing for in their redemption. And, and that's just primarily the purpose of a, a parable and it, it reveals uh, God's grace and that would be our message title here today, Parable of Grace. <clears throat> and um, if you recall, we had a, a lesson on this. <clears throat> we didn't focus so much on the parable aspect of it as the parable of the sower, remember that from Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> and he was preparing these disciples to go out with the gospel message and and he gave them this parable of the sower. And he says, you know, you're going to cast a lot of seed out there and some of it's going to fall on stony ground, some of it's going to fall on the thorns, some of the seed's going to fall among uh, the wayside and the birds are going to come and eat it up. But he said, some of it's going to fall on the good ground, the good ground that's been prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive that gospel message. And that's going to take root, and some of it's going to bear fruit, <clears throat> some a hundredfold and some more. And <clears throat> and he says, so just be prepared that wherever you go, give out the gospel and truth and don't leave anything out. Don't withhold anything. Don't add anything. And leave it up to the Holy Spirit to prepare that ground, but just be aware that it's not always going to have the result that you think it should have wherever you go. And it, that's not your purview. It's not your business. Your business is just to cast the the seed out, throw the seed out, and then move on. And and that's what we we do here. And and <clears throat> but when he was doing this, he said there was a par this parable of the sower, and his disciples says. What might this parable be? Because they didn't quite understand that application of it. So he explained it to them. 
And then he said, unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto others in parables, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Not that they would want to, apart from divine grace. (laughs) They don't want to see, they don't want to hear. The scriptures are pretty replete with they stopped up their ears or they turned the shoulder away and they, they didn't want anything to do with the gospel of, of grace. We're satisfied with our own program and uh, we don't want anything to counter that. So yeah, that that parable the sower covered in Matthew 13.10, the disciples came and said unto him, Why? Speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. That's pretty cut and dry, pretty plain. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they, seeing not and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And it's it's like we mentioned earlier, you know, people that are saved by grace and, and looking for grace, they see grace. They see grace in everything. They see God in everything. They see Christ in everything. And and it's like Luke 24 where he told those, he, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this the application is spiritual things are only spiritually discerned. Uh, they can't. They they cannot be. It's what it says in First Corinthians two fourteen. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. He's not able to know them, and because they're spiritually discerned, he just they're right there in front of him, and he sees them, but he can't discern them, can't understand them, and and uh, the first time this use of parables is brought out in the scripture really is where it's actually named a parable not that it's not used in other forms where it's just not actually called a parable but it's out and out called a parable in numbers the 23rd chapter when i read this i just i kind of got tickled because i read it over and it just struck me funny in so if you turn over to numbers 23 and the parable dealt with the the king of the Moabites, Balak, wanted Balaam to curse the children of Israel. In Numbers 23, number 20, Numbers 23, and uh, he'd ask him to curse the people and Balaam said, "Okay, we'll build me some altars here, and we'll we'll sacrifice seven oxen and seven rams, and and uh, they they sacrificed the burnt offering." And Balaam went up to speak to the Lord and hear what he had to say. And in in Numbers twenty three five, the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, "Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak." And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable. And he said, Balak, the king of Moab, had brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. And he said, How shall I curse 
whom God hath not cursed? And how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. You know, it just he was just kind of saying, when you see Jesus, you just see him everywhere. When you see the Lord, you see him everywhere. He says, I see him from the top of the rocks. I see him from the hills. <clears throat> Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, what have you done to me? <laughs> I wanted you to curse these people, and you just turned around and did the opposite and blessed them. And because and, that's what the Lord told him to do. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? So I can only, it's just like we can only say the gospel because that's what we know, that's all we know. And that's what we can speak. And, and, and then we get to the funny part here. <laughs> and Balak said, come, I pray thee, with me unto another place. <laughs> come, let's go, let's go look at this from over here and try it again. Come with me to another place from whence thou mayest see them, and thou shalt see the uttermost part of them, and shall not see them all, and curse me them from then, from that place. And so they did the sacrifice and the altar and everything, and the Lord uh, met Balaam and put a word in his mouth there in verse 16 and said, Go again unto Balak and say thus, name another parable, and when he went to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken to me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Boy, what a statement about God. You know, you can sit there and try to manipulate him all you want to from your standpoint, which is in unbelief, and it's not going to have any application. It's not going to have any result whatsoever. <clears throat> Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Hath he not beheld it? He, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Boy, what a statement of grace there in this parable. He's not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Not that they weren't all in their natural condition and as a nation, not that they weren't those things, but in the eyes of grace for the Israel, not all of Israel, which are of Israel. He, did, he saw no spot, no wrinkle, because they were in Christ. <clears throat> neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. There's, there's no enchantment against Jacob. That's, this is an important thing for the church to lay hold of. There's no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? What a, what a work of grace hath God wrought? <clears throat> and it can't be denied. 
Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down till he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse him at all nor bless him at all. But Balaam answered and said unto, he tried to take the neutral ground there. <laughs> so since this is not going my way, let's just, let's just not do anything. And, and Balaam said, Hey, told not I thee, saying all that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. And then it gets funnier again. In verse 27, Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I'll bring thee to another place. I'll take you over here. Peradventure it will please God that thou mayest curse me then from thence. Isn't that like religion, you know? You know I, I know you believe grace. I, believe, you, I know you believe that God is sovereign. But come over here and look at things from my standpoint. Come over here and look at things from my standpoint of free will. Or come over here and let's look at this. God died universally for all. And then it's just up to you to exercise your free will, whether to choose that or not. Or And, and the, the religion is full of those kind of things where they try to misapply the word of God to their own uh, uh, their own traditions and teachings and <clears throat> And so he brought him to the top of Peor and built the altars and sacrificed them again. And the same thing. It, it's kind of the, what do they say about uh, insanity is just doing the same thing and expecting different results. <laughs> but you can't see that in grace. You just can't see that unless you have experienced grace. And, and <clears throat> so anyway, I thought that was an interesting par- use of a parable and uh, in the Old Testament, there and uh, <clears throat> and then uh, the use of parables is I, I mentioned a lot of places where it's written in Ezekiel and Micah and Proverbs and <clears throat> Psalms. There's a couple of uses in Psalms, and we'll look at uh, two of them today. One in Psalm 78, uh, verse uh, one through four. In Psalm 78, we have the use of a parable foretold and the purpose of them. Psalm 78, 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And he says, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. And that's just nothing more than the gospel. Just the gospel. We've, it's been all around forever. We will not hide them from their children. And then he says, here's what it's about. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. The sum and purpose of parables tells us about grace. <clears throat> in our text in Luke 14, a parable is used to compare human nature and and pride versus a work of grace in the heart. And uh, and this parable also kind of gives us an insight into how God views things. It's, he doesn't view things as man views things. And uh, he, he takes no pleasure in those that come with their own righteousness, come with their own works, come with their own view of things when he has supplied all that's necessary and as uh, Norman said this morning and always 
says that that no flesh should glory in his presence because that's what we would do if we were able to come to the lord and say well i did this all these i've kept from my youth up we'd be going i did that part and i only needed this much jesus <laughs> not very much and and you know how how he views that as a the blood of his son is the only acceptable payment for sin. So we have this view of how, how God views things. And a picture, it's really this this parable's a picture of opposites. What we think and do of ourselves to promote ourselves versus grace. And I loved what Hawker wrote. He says, grace is kind of simultaneous, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, simultaneously lifts us up and humbles us. Isn't that an interesting... It lifts us up because he says... It's like that hymn we sang. I didn't... There was nothing lovable in me. It's just because of your sovereign love and electing mercies that that you saved me. It was nothing that I did. It's very humbling that he would say, out of all the <clears throat> millions I have chosen you, and and yet he lifts you up and says... I chose you, and then I loved you, and uh, it's very, very uplifting to know that the Lord has loved you from eternity, and and worked all things for good for you, and called you by His gospel, and saved you by His grace, and and uh, so it's it's kind of a picture of of opposites here. And Proverbs three thirty four says, "Surely He scorneth the scorners, but He giveth grace to the lowly." He's the people that say, you can keep that for yourself. I don't need it. If that's what you need, if you need that little crutch or whatever, fine for you. But ah, it's foolishness. I don't need it. It's useless. He has scorn for that. <laughs> it's a slap in his face to say that his uh, son was of, of no value there. And But he gives grace to the lowly, those that that he brings to that point where they say, he saved me by his grace and made me willing where I wasn't willing. And, uh, <clears throat> and so <clears throat> Proverbs 11, 2 says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. <laughs> That's what those two things are attached. But with the lowly is wisdom. When you come in the, in the view of grace, you be, you become wise un, unto the Lord and and what He did to to save you and all the things that it's it's just a, an infinite array of things that He has brought to pass to bring home all of His sheep at their appointed time. <clears throat> the the pride the the lust of the flesh those are not from the Father those are from the world that's what it says in John First John two sixteen. It's, the, those things originate in man and stick with him and are hard to overcome. And, you know, there's a warning for the church in uh, Third John where he says, you need to watch out for that Diotrephes guy. <laughs> he loves to have the preeminence. He, wants, he always wants that uppermost seat. He always wants that to be the focus of the attention and not Christ. He always wants to be the center of the attention and to be thought of as wise and and 
religious and in charge. They like to be in charge. That's a kind of a, they like to control things. And, uh, <clears throat> so he loved to have the preeminence among them. And he received us not. <laughs> Didn't want to receive grace. What a, what a telling uh, uh, verse that is. And you know, this parable, it shows a similitude or a pattern of Jesus who humbled himself. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? He made himself of no reputation. And, and we go back to our, our, our scriptures here in, in uh, Luke 14. Get my finger on the right button there. <laughs> when they're bidden of any man to a wedding, sit down not in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou should be bidden of him. I wonder where they made Jesus sit or where they where they told him to sit. I bet it wasn't at the most honorable place. <laughs> that and he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place and Thou begin with shame to take the lowest room, and when thou art bidden, go and sit in the sit in the lowest room, that when he that badeth thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Well, I can't think of anybody that's more exalted than the Lord, who's sitting at the right hand of God and making intercession for us back where he was. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 said, He made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself in order to pay the the debt of sin debt of his people and he said Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. <clears throat> you know, he didn't he didn't come in and order everybody to you know, I should be sitting here. Everybody move, everybody he would he would just go in and 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 give them the gospel and let things let things happen and the parable was they didn't, they didn't get it. <laughs> uh, not many not many would understand it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy, thy king cometh to thee. He is just and having salvation. All the things that make him glorious and, and magnificent. And yet it says he's lowly. He's in a depressed condition. Come down to take care of his his people to save them from their sins <clears throat> and because that's what that word lowly means uh, depressed in mind or circumstance compared to where he was 
It was a pretty depressed circumstance that he was in, riding on a donkey's foal there. And, uh, he humbled himself. And <clears throat> Psalm 75 uh, tells us a little bit about how God views things and in respect to this in Psalm 75, starting in verse 5, and, <clears throat> and we'll read a few verses there. God is the judge. Those who are humble and grateful for grace or those who are proud and lofty in their own eyes is the subject of this psalm. So whether you're humble and grateful for grace or whether you're proud and lofty and depending on your own works or righteousness, he says, lift not up your own horn on high. (laughs) Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion or that that means to be exalted or honored. It come it comes neither from the east, and <clears throat> that means from where the sun rises, and or from the west or where the sun sets, nor from the south, which represents the wilderness. But God is the judge. He puts one down and setteth up another. All in verse 10, it says, all the horns of the wicked also will I cut off. The, he says, don't, don't lift up your own horn. <laughs> it's going to be cut off. <laughs> all the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horn of the righteous shall be exalted. And the horn of the righteous is Christ. And that's their horn. The other people have their own horn. In Psalm 138, verse 6, The Lord, though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect to the lowly, but the proud he knoweth far off. He knows who has a contrite heart. He knows who is humbled by his saving grace, and he knows those that are far off. He can see them mile away that say, I don't need you. I've done all my own thing or my path is just as valid as your path or I don't need to enter in at the straight gate. There's many paths to to heaven. The proud he knoweth afar off. You know, our nature always seeks self-worth and self-honor. Just, uh, it's just our nature. It's what Cain said. I worked hard for this stuff. This is what I have done. And the Lord had not respect for that. You know, in Matthew uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 20, <clears throat> the mother of Zebedee's children, John, the, the sons of thunder they were called, she went up to the Lord and said a certain thing to the Lord. And he says, what, what do you want? And she said, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. I want my sons to be important. I want them to be looked at, upheld, and everybody looks at them and says, My, 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 (laughs) how religious, how important they must be. And he said, You know what? You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they say unto him, oh yeah, we're, we're able. <laughs> <coughs> and 
And he saith unto them, You shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with me in the baptized baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And that that's kind of an interesting topic there because <clears throat> you, you know the way people view things in this world is in in the way religion views their relationship supposedly with the Lord it's like well if you don't do enough good works you're going to be in the nosebleed section you're going to be so far away that Jesus only looks like he's this tall you know just minimal <clears throat> But they have no understanding of the God with whom we have to do. You know, the scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. In the midst means we all have that same connection. We all have that same access. We all have that same spacing or distance. There's there's not going to be, well... I'm so far out that I can never touch the hem of his garment. It's just not that way with him. He is just more than what we can think of more. <clears throat> and when he says, I'm here in the midst of you, just because you don't see him does not mean that he's not not there. The same as those that servant of Elisha that said, I don't see anything. <laughs> and he said, open his eyes that he may see. And when he... The Lord opened his eyes. There was all these chariots and all the... Where did they come from? They were there all the time. He just didn't have eyes to see them. And and if you don't have eyes to see Christ, then you, then him being in the midst of you is really far away. And, and in heaven, the, the thought that you're just going to be so far out in the fringes that you can't ever get there is... Is is not is not uh, scriptural there. It's really counter to our nature not to seek prestige and to look important before our friends. We are all guilty of of that. We we want to look knowledgeable, important, or or smart, or strong, or what have you before our friends and have them be impressed with our our character and things and. <clears throat> But, you know, the Lord, he called out those Pharisees for that. He said, you love to have the most, uppermost seats in the synagogues and, and and greetings in the market and the most prestigious seat at the suppers and feasts. But he says, woe, woe unto you, because you're just doing it to be seen of men. You're not doing it for any good, legitimate purposes. <clears throat> and... Uh, it's better to be humble and say, I'm just glad to be there. <laughs> Wherever God wants me to sit, that's where I'll sit. And thank God I'm there. And those that try to wangle their own seat up front and be important are not going to have an enjoyable time. He says, all their works they do to be seen of men. Humbleness is hard. <laughs> and it really only comes by grace. And keeping our eye on Christ keeps our eye off of ourself, keeps our eye on Him. In First Peter chapter five, verse five says, "Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. 
Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. We shouldn't be going up to one another and saying, I'm way more important than you. I can't be bothered with you. Uh, you may kiss my hand if you want, want to. <laughs> Other than that, scat, go away. Uh, be clothed with humility and realize that, hey, we're all saved by grace. We all were saved out of the same pit. We we're all subject to the same corruption. <clears throat> it took every bit as much blood to save any single one of us as another. It, uh, it takes... It takes all the blood of Christ for all his people. And, uh, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Isn't that a kind of a an opposite of our natural... We don't... Well, if I, if I humble myself, how am I going to be exalted? And uh, what's that... that saying, he that toots not his own horn, his horn shall not be tooted. <laughs> but when the Lord exalts you and lifts you up in his Son and sees you in his Son and has made us to be kings and priests, and, and we finally are able to come to an understanding of his eternal love and grace that he has effected in us that's that's uplifting casting all your care upon him for he careth for you you know we think we if we do these things we exalt ourselves and then we're we're taking care of our own issues and we're not we're not casting our care on him and saying he did it all one hundred percent, one hundred ten percent. He did all of it. He paid double for your sins. Two hundred percent. So in grace, we don't look to our own deeds or works, but we look to Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And verse eleven states a spiritual fact, which is really amplified in in Matthew twenty five, where we have that great throne and the Lord is speaking to those. The goats and the sheep, and 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 uh, let me turn back to verse eleven here. And in, in in Luke, he said, "Whoever will exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." <clears throat> well, in Matthew. 25, and I, you've probably heard this a million times, so I'm not going to, we're about out of time, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he said, when I was thirsty, you, you gave me to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And, and, and those on the right hand says, well, when did we do that? <laughs> I didn't do anything. I'm a poor, unprofitable servant. I just, I didn't do anything. And to the ones on the left, they say, when did we not do all that? We did all these good works. And he said, because you you didn't do it to the least of one of these, you did it not to me. <clears throat> when I, 
when when they were thirsty, you didn't give them the water of life in the gospel. When they were hungry, you didn't feed them with the gospel. You just gave them more religious stuff and more stuff to do. And you wouldn't enter in yourself. And those that wanted to enter in, you hindered. <laughs> Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. <clears throat> so when did we do that? Versus when did we not do that? That's the difference between a humble heart and grace and a self-righteous uh, person that uh, needs not Christ. In the closing today, we're going to look at Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. <clears throat> For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So, into that parable, and the next time we'll be looking at this parable of a great feast and look at the principles that apply there. So, till the next time, as always, be free.